In the year 1918, in the 11th month, on the 11th day, at the 11th hour, the major hostilities of World War I were formally ended when the armistice with Germany went into effect. And then in 1954, at the urging of major veteran organizations, Armistice Day was renamed Veterans Day. It honors military veterans, that is, persons who served in the United States Armed Forces. Today is the 11th day of the 11th month, and the 11th hour was 35 minutes ago. Traditionally, a minute of silence has been taken at that time, and I'm hoping that we can do that later. So this notion of Armistice Day is talked about in, a, in one of my favorite Books. It's a book for children, and in this book is a little girl, or she's actually probably almost a teen girl, and she's been sent to live with her grandma during the Depression. So it's in between the two world wars. And one morning she wakes up and she's surprised that her grandma is not cooking her the regular breakfast that she sends her off to school with. Instead, her grandma's cooking a really big breakfast like they have a really big, long day outdoors in the country ahead of them. Her grandma says to her, of course, honey, there's no school today. It's Armistice Day. And the girl reflects, people took Armistice Day seriously back then, 19 years after the end of the Great War. In Chicago, everything stopped at 11 o'clock, even the streetcars. People stood for a minute of silence, remembering. And so her mother takes her out into the countryside where there's a home where people have gathered to have a turkey shoot. And the men in the American Legion are raising money by playing this, um, this competitive game of the turkey shoot. And the women are up on the porch of the house cooking soup, which then is shared with everyone for a donation that raises money for the family that's living there, which is a widow and her son. After most of the people leave, the grandma and the little girl go inside the house to visit with the woman. And the woman says, won't you please come upstairs and see my son? The son had not been able to leave the house to come and join in the activities. And the woman's a little bit scared about bringing the little girl upstairs, but the grandma says she can handle it. And the girl sees in a wheelchair a man who's not able to stand and not able to see and not able to speak. After touching the man and giving him a warm greeting, the grandma and the girl leave and they begin to walk home. And the story goes like this. Grandma and I turned out of the gate and along the road back to town. She set her mouth against the wind. The wind had turned and so we were walking into it and there was some winter in the wind. She tramped along, listening, listening so intently to the quiet that I said, Grandma, tell me, 
Her boy was gassed in the, crinch, in the trenches, Grandma said, and shot up. We went on, the town rising on the horizon. He gets a check from the government, but it don't keep them. But Grandma, aren't there veterans' hospitals where he could go? She won't give him up, Grandma said. She's lost him once already. We walked a narrow stretch between the road and the ditch, single file. Then, just above the sighing wind, she said, the trenches are all filled in, but the boys are still dying. Then I could read her thoughts, and I knew, that, and I knew what this day meant. Mrs. Abernathy's son could have been my dad. So why do people go into military service? There are so many reasons. Perhaps economic pressures, perhaps family tradition, perhaps high ideals. High ideals motivate a lot of people. I've heard children say they want to grow up and be a doctor so they can help people heal. I've heard children say they want to grow up and be a teacher so they can help people learn. Doctors eventually learn it's hard to live out your ideals with all the pressures of the health insurance companies the corporatization of hospitals, and the truth that disease processes end people's lives. Teachers find out it can be complex to live out your ideals with exams like the standards of learning and large classrooms and other pressures. And similarly, Many soldiers and people who serve in the military find that once they get there, there are many pressures that keep them from doing what they wanted or what they thought was right. So this is true for so many of us in so many areas of our lives. We strive to live out our ideals, we face obstacles, and we realize that what we thought would carry us through may not. So we need to recalibrate. There's a theologian who has defined anguish, defined suffering, in the following way. Suffering is experienced as a threat to our composure, a threat to our integrity, a threat to the fulfillment of our intentions, and to the meaning of who we are. And furthermore, theologians and ethicists have come up with a notion of moral suffering, which is a fear of moral failure. That a person has an inner compass, they have morals that they believe in their mind, they uphold, and yet in the middle of a complex situation, they cannot figure out how to act on them. 
The reason this is a problem is that because I believe each human has an unequivocal need to say to themselves at the end of the day, how can I feel like I did well in my role today? So ethicists and theologians have come up with another term called moral repair. And the notion of moral repair is to say, maybe it was not your moral failure, your failure of creative thinking, maybe it was not your failure of effort or discipline or courage, maybe the situation you found yourself in had structures that would not allow you to act. So there's one story I've heard about this, I'm not sure how much of it is fact and how much has been embellished, but there's a story, and the way I've heard it is that um, in one of the world wars, when they were in the trenches, on Christmas Eve, some of the soldiers felt moved to come out of the trenches and to approach each other in peace and to play a game of soccer. And this has been lifted up as a warm example of people expressing a common humanity. Now another part of this story that I've heard is that the following year, the folks higher up said, that will not happen again, and if it does, you will be shot. So whether that story is exactly factually true or not, it lifts up an example of when a person may have to choose between their own life and what good there is in continuing to live, or the good of reaching out to other humans in that symbolic act of joining. There's another term that theologians and pastoral counselors and chaplains use. It's called spiritual distress. Spiritual distress describes when we thought there was something that would give us comfort or something that would help us find forgiveness or something that let us know our lives had a meaning greater than we could define. And when that seems to be taken away, that is spiritual distress. It is often called a dark night of the soul. I have heard the director of spiritual care at John Hopkins Medical Center say that spiritual distress does not mean that one has a weakness. Indeed, spiritual distress means that someone is emotionally awake and has the maturity and tolerance to engage with questions when their beliefs and values have been challenged by life experiences. So instead of bulking at spiritual distress, perhaps we can find a way to move through it, examine the questions, and then move on to a place that is more deep and more valuable. So I believe this is true as a possibility throughout life. As we age and grow in maturity, as our bodies grow, as we encounter different situations, we encounter an obstacle, we have a time of unknowing, uncertainty, discomfort, 
then we recalibrate and we find a new way of making meaning. So it's a spiral, and it goes in that way. And in my work at the hospital, I often get to hear people in the last days and weeks of their lives, and indeed right there, they are finding new, deeper answers to spiritual questions. Getting through spiritual distress often doesn't happen with the head. It happens with the heart, through waiting, wondering, allowing, through many different types of spiritual practices. I have heard people this week expressing spiritual distress after the election results and after hearing about the shooting that happened this week. I have heard people say that they fear becoming numb to news about shootings. To help myself prepare for Veterans Day, I watched a movie called Last Flag Flying. And in this story, there's three men who were in the Vietnam War together. And when this story opens, they've met up. And the reason that they're meeting up is because one of them has a son who died in Afghanistan. He's all alone. His wife recently died of cancer. And he doesn't want to be alone while he buries his son. So he goes and he seeks out these comrades that he hasn't seen for decades. And they discover that what bound them together then in that hardship of war is not a glue that is together now. But nonetheless, the two men respect their comrades' dignity and they say, yes, we will go with you. We'll help you bury your son. Well, like many good stories, many good epic stories, the journey takes longer than thought, there's twists and turns, and along the way they have conversations. In one of the conversations, one of the soldiers says, you know, I regret those things we did, and sometimes I wonder how to explain myself to God. And one of the men who, after the Vietnam War, had gone on to be a minister, which really surprised his friends because they thought he really had indulged in a lot of worldly pleasures during the war. He says, perhaps it's not you that has to explain yourself to God. Perhaps God needs to explain himself to you. How can it be that God would let shootings happen? How can it be that God would let us be so insensitive that we would allow climate change to continue? These are the grapplings of spiritual distress. And yet, the story itself seems to offer an answer as these men journey together and eventually by the end bury his son, what they have realized is a deeper sense of camaraderie than they had ever experienced before. One of them says, when I was over there in the war, eventually I didn't believe in it 
and I wasn't fighting for the cause that started the war. And eventually, I was not even fighting to get the war done and over with. Eventually, I was just fighting for my brothers. And so perhaps this is how it might be for all of us when we seek to live out our ideals and then we find ourselves in such complex situations that we cannot figure out how to live out those ideals, but what we can do is offer love and care and protection to the people right there with us. In the Unitarian Universalist tradition, we draw from many sources of wisdom from many religious traditions, and I would like to lift up a passage from a book called Corinthians. It is a man named Paul writing to the town of Corinth. The people in Corinth have started to establish a Christian community there, and like so many faith communities, they are struggling with one another. He says to them, take this advice, have faith, have hope, but most of all, have love. The greatest of these is love. <clears throat> and so when it came time to pick the slide for today, that's why I picked a ball of yarn that's all unraveled. How in the middle of that unraveledness could there still be warmth and care? If you are a veteran, I would offer this as a suggestion, to take very good spiritual care of yourself. The military has been introducing resiliency programs, which include spiritual health. If you are not a veteran, but you have a vet in your family, I would suggest to you to tend to the complexity of emotions that you feel and they feel. Be patient with what is yet to be spoken or healed. I've heard a number of people describe their fathers coming home from World War II and never ever speaking about the war, but maintaining a quiet dignity. So what we can offer someone who is having that quiet dignity is a respect to acknowledge that inside they hold stories that may not fit into words. And finally, if you're not a vet and you don't have veterans in your family or your friendship circle, you can read stories, watch movies. You can come to Pacham, which is going to happen here in our church, which is an opportunity to serve people who are living on the streets. Not all of them are veterans, but some of them are struggling with issues coming from having been in the military service. The sign-ups for the Pachem are in the social hall. Another thing that you can do is to act legislatively. We saw an example of this this past Tuesday when on the ballot, one of the items was to vote so that taxes could be changed so that if a veteran was receiving tax benefits on their home, and then their spouse, and then they were gone, but the spouse was receiving the tax benefits, and then moved to another home, 
that those tax benefits would go with the, the veteran's spouse. So we have so many different levels of offering love and care in action to other people. My wish for you today as we go forth from this place is that if you know that you have done harm or if you have not been able to live up fully to your ideals, to stand back and look at the situation with broad perspective and look for ways to offer love and care. And so now, in closing, I am going to invite us to spend a moment in stillness and silence and to take that one minute that so many other people did at 11 o'clock this morning. <laughs>